0: Welcome to Africa and Us. I'm your host, Nathan Araya. On today's show, we have Bandak Lul. Bandak is an acclaimed refugee advocate and human rights activist. He is a research project manager at Arizona State University Office of Sex Trafficking Intervention Research. Lul holds a number of social justice and human rights positions, including his recent appointment as a youth delegate representing his birth country, South Sudan, at the United Nations Youth for Human Rights International, member of the planning committee and national speaker at the Migrant and Refugee Leadership Academy, and serving as an advisory board member at Refugee Code Academy. I spoke with Bandak about how to recognize the signs and sources of modern-day human trafficking, his immigrant experience, Coming from a refugee camp and his life work as a servant leader within the South Sudanese community. This is Africa in Us. Well, appreciate you being on this podcast, sir.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, man. Uh- it's a great opportunity, so appreciate it.
0: For many people that may not know, and you know, all of our listeners, I uh, just wanted to kind of you know go through uh, some of your um, accolades and kind of who you are, because you know our conversations were amazing out in Phoenix, and you led some amazing sessions. Uh, regarding human trafficking. So I'm looking forward to kind of diving into the subject with you. Yeah. So, you know, for many that don't know you, um, you know, you hold a master's degree in social justice and human rights and two bachelor's degrees in political science and sociology um, appointed youth delegate representing South Sudan at the United Nations Youth for Human Rights International. And you've appeared on CNN. Uh, You currently work as a project manager at Arizona State University office office of sex trafficking intervention research. Now, looking at this, it just it's very impressive. And many people may not know your backstory as being a former refugee from South Sudan who spent 14 years of your life living in a refugee camp in Ethiopia, right? That's true. So, and that's just the interesting interesting thing about life, I guess. You know, we never you can judge a book by its cover. There's so many chapters that make up a story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's talk about this journey and uh, how you got here today. Um, you know, you definitely do deep uh, care deeply about your personal history on the South Sudanese conflict and kind of what you went through. Now, uh, what? how has this experience and going through this impacted your life today?
1: Uh, you know, um, I don't know where to begin, uh, Nathan. Um but first, I want to thank you for uh, the opportunity uh, to be here on this podcast today with you, and I hope we will get something, you know, great out of it. And for others, you know, the listeners out there, uh, almost everything I do, everything that you you just mentioned right now, is a result of my personal story, and. Uh, uh, as uh, me being a, a refugee and grew, uh, growing up in refugee camp, and the thing I saw, the thing I, uh, I experienced myself, and this includes uh, uh, growing up a, as a refugee child, uh, and also having come to uh, migrating here in the United States, where I had to face other uh, obstacles, you know, due to my um, due to my experience, uh, not only because of uh, my Africanness, but as well as just, just my my uh, citizenship status and whatnot. So, and my story began as far back as 1991, you know, uh, when my family decided to flee uh, Sudan because of the war that was happening between the Northern Sudanese and the South, Southern Sudanese. And this was at the time when uh, South Sudan and Sudan uh, we still you know under one umbrella. And my family lived in, uh, in the refugee camp throughout you know from 1991, and throughout all those years, up until uh, 2006, when I had to come to the United States uh, uh, as a refugee uh, when I was given the refugee uh, status. So with, within those 14 years I spent in the refugee camp, I saw a lot of things, and also the opportunities that I would have liked for myself. Uh, and also for anyone, you know, who was in refugee camp, we not presented. Uh, the, the educational, um, uh, system was not as, uh, uh as, as better as, as it is here in the United States. Uh, our food ration, you know, uh, we had to wait for, uh, uh, for, for ration every 30 days in order for us to get, uh, to renew our, uh, our food and also, uh, other hygiene's, um, uh, hygiene stuff uh, for, for families. So these are the kind of things that we had to uh, live by, and also uh, that was pretty much just the goal. The goal was to survive until the next 30 days uh, when the food arrives. Um, when I came to United States, I really wanted, wanted to go to school and because that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to leave, uh, leave the refugee camp beside the safety department. The safer part was the main, uh, with the main reasons. But uh, following up with educations and also uh, seeking better opportunities to um, uh, to better myself and also maybe give back uh, to the communities I long to uh, long to serve in the future. Um, how, how old
0: were you when you came to the United States?
1: I came to the United States at the age of fifteen. Uh, I was barely uh, just just a month after I, I turned fifteen. Uh, that's when I came to the United States, and that was on March. Uh, 26th of 2006. And uh, when I arrived, um, we had only 20 days, uh, 20 days left of of school for for school to be closed. So I was placed in in all the beginning uh, English classes, uh, beginning uh, math classes and anything that I was beginning. So pretty much I was starting off uh, as a kid, Oliver, again, learning a different language, learning. Uh, different cultures, uh, also having to learn in in a different uh, classroom setting. So that took me into uh, having to fail uh, all my classes. And I've always, you know, every time I say this, you know, people laugh and I laugh myself. You know, I I had, I failed my PE class, um, which is uh, something that, you know, (laughs) right. (laughs) So,
0: How do you fail PE, man? You just didn't understand the coach, the, the director, the teacher? I did not teacher, understand,
1: or... you know, instruction. I did not understand uh, the coaches. Right. I did not understand most of my uh, uh, PE uh, uh, colleagues, uh, classmates. Right. So, um, and at the time I wait, uh, but maybe I think between uh, 97 to like 105 or so. So I, I was very... Ah, uh, very skinny, so I didn't have the proper nutrition. You know, just two month, uh, uh, a month after coming to the United States, so that was uh, that was one of the major factors. So I could not hold on to the weight I was given uh, given to me. Um, right. Yeah. So to continue. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Go
0: ahead. Yeah, I wanted to ask a quick question. So. Take me back to the refugee camp experience, you know, what were some of your, I mean, going through a lot of that struggle and those challenges, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with scarcity and, and, you know, just so many people, you know, being, you know, in this location, Mm -hmm. you know, where were you at mentally? What were, what were some of your dreams, you know, while you were going through those things and where did this passion for education come from?
1: Um, the passion for education, uh, let me begin with, uh, I saw the leadership in my father. Uh, growing up, uh, my father was uh, the camp chairman uh, in the refugee camp, the whole camp, and also he was uh, the school director, and uh, as much as you know, being the principal uh, in school. So this was the Dima uh, Dima uh, Primary School, which uh, I attended for uh, about eight eight years. Uh, I saw a lot of community services uh, from my father. Uh, he was also working alongside UNHCR, uh, United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, uh, and also he worked with uh, uh, International Red Cross uh, uh, community. So his leadership uh, was instilled uh, was instilled on uh, in me, uh, and also the passion for education. Uh, was something that I received from him, as well as those who uh, who was uh, in his surrounding, and with that, uh, I've always wanted to to better myself and be somewhere uh, uh, be somewhere where I can I can have a better education and I have a dream of helping those in need. Um, so. To wrap this up, you know, I just growing up, my environment where uh, I grew up and the thing I saw motivated me to uh, to have a, a better education and also to put education first in, in many ways. And there were all other things that were um, uh, difficult to to take in, which uh, also shaped my passion for education. And these include. Uh, seeing the struggles of uh, most uh, uh, uh refugees, and these struggles include having to fall in debt bondage, which leads to slavery, uh, what we call the modern-day human trafficking. Because at the right. time, uh, at the time they they were not allowed to to work under uh, the UN agreement with the uh, with the ethiopian uh uh, with the ethiopian government refugees were not allowed to work so with this uh, oftentimes they find work alongside and they fall into debt bondage where they borrow things and now they have to pay that back uh through labor and oftentimes labor is is much more than uh than what you know it was supposed to uh uh, they were supposed to give so these type type of struggles uh what uh, are what motivate my career path uh, as well as uh, my my decision to to take on uh, uh, this uh, uh, this educational path. So,
0: right. So you you know went through college and you managed to. I mean, I mean, you went through school and just managed to you know succeed at on so many different levels. What were well you know how were you able to kind of navigate growing up in the U.S. after coming from South Sudan, Ethiopia, and, you know, coming, you know, to the U.S., how were you able to kind of navigate and achieve so much through school? I mean, did you have a strong community with the South Sudanese community? Was it family that was supporting you? What, what was around you and how did you kind of navigate through that?
1: Uh, I, can, I can say, you know, uh, like I said, the, the environment that uh, I grew up in, even include, you know, in the refugee camp, uh, shaped uh, a lot of things that I, I decided to, to pursue and here in the united states i had a very strong uh, uh community support uh my teachers and schools were very supportive uh, my my uh, uh counselor high school counselor uh, which i who i still keep in touch with uh, till today she was very uh very mo- uh and as well as encouraging uh, always telling us that education is very important so just that, you know, having someone believe in you, uh, so having someone believed in me uh, motivated me to the point where I, I, I was not only uh, satisfying myself and also, um, uh, you know, reaching some expectations for myself, but also I fulfilled uh, those who uh, expected those, um, uh, those expectations for me, and uh, I, I fulfilled those. So the community support uh, was very important, and also keeping in touch with my family back home. Uh, I didn't mention this already, but my my father, my mother, and uh, uh, most of my siblings are still back home. So with them having to uh, encourage me every day, and speaking with me, and telling me that you know um, I-, I can do this, regardless of them having to be overseas and not having the support system, uh, the physical support system. So these things were uh, the one that motivated me a lot. And not to forget the resources that were given, uh, not only in schools, but also outside school uh, through organizations such as the Lost Boys of, uh, of Sudan. Uh, they helped me a lot when I came here. Uh, my first bike was given uh, by them. Uh, and this allowed, oh, wow. yeah, this allowed me to go to uh, libraries uh, and, uh, during the weekend to study to read and to use the computer because at the time I did not know how to operate computers and I didn't know how to type. I did not know how to uh, search um, properly. So I give a lot of credit to the Lost Boys uh, of Sudan, uh, uh, of uh, of Arizona, because they they enabled me to like go places uh, outside of school. Uh, In schools, the teachers believed in me a lot. Like I mentioned earlier, the counselor believed in me a lot. Um, And now I call her grandmother because of uh, the relationship that we have formed for for a very long time. So and these are the things that uh, kept me going. Right, right.
0: Yeah, it definitely does take a community to kind of, you know, raise people. And I mean, that just puts things in perspective for my life because I, too, have had so many different people in my life that have come across and invested in me at different points. So yeah, just hearing about your journey and all the things you've been through and the people that have contributed to your growth, it really does speak volumes, you know, and, and even how we see the world, how we see life. And, you know, it also is a testament to that Mm -hmm. with the little that we can do really does go a long way.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. So you know you're currently working at Arizona State University, and you're handle you're tackling human trafficking. And when I was kind of you know researching and looking up a few things uh, this morning, uh, the International Labour Organization estimates that there is around forty point three million victims of human trafficking globally. Eighty-one mm-hmm. percent uh, of them are trapped in forced labor. And another thing interesting that I saw was that. Um, human trafficking and you know forced labor is a 150 billion dollar industry worldwide right i mean these numbers are i mean i mean just huge we know when you think about it and to know that you're kind of on the front lines in tackling this major global you know issue i mean it can just seem overwhelming but you know maybe if you can't just unpack what is, for maybe that may not know, what is human trafficking and, um, and what does your line of work really look like when we look at all the things that are taking place around the world?
1: Um, well, to, to begin with, you know, um, not a lot of people are aware that, you know, this type these type of practices are still happening of slavery. And when we speak of human trafficking, you know, we're speaking of uh, slavery and modern-day slavery. That has been uh, systematically, you know, um, uh, systematically, you know, uh, uh, shaped by 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 the way of society. So, but uh, to speak, human trafficking has many different forms, and uh, these include uh, child labor. These include um, uh, sex trafficking. They include debt bondage. They include labor trafficking. And uh, many, many, others, including uh, a child being a child, child soldier. So, um, and this is where my work takes place. Where now I'm focusing at Arizona uh, State University Office of Sex Trafficking Intervention Research. My focus is on uh, the, uh, the labor trafficking, uh, national labor trafficking in the United States and um, and also human trafficking among the refugee populations. So these are a uh, few of the areas that I'm focused on. Um, so in general, um, according to our um, federal regulation and federal law of 2000, it's, uh, human trafficking includes um, the practice of uh, harboring somebody uh, soliciting luring somebody into uh, working uh, under pressure, and also being forced into uh, practicing certain acts of uh, uh, sexual uh, exploitations. And um, so, according to that, you know, Victims Protection Act of two thousand. Uh, of two thousand, um, let's uh, to focus on sex trafficking. Uh, it's defined as a, situ- a situation in which a commercial sex act is induced by force, fraud, revision, or in which the person induced uh, to perform such an act has not attained 18 years of age. So regardless, if the person has not attained the 18 years of age, it's automatically sex trafficking. It's always sex right. trafficking. And this happens to all males, females, transgender gender persons. Um, uh, anywhere or, uh, across the world. Um, so this is the definition, the federal definition of uh, sex trafficking. And when you look at, uh, because oftentimes people just uh, confuse sex trafficking with uh, domestic violence, uh, there, are, there are a few things that differentiate them. And domestic violence and sex trafficking can go hand in hand. There's a lot of violence, there's a lot of uh, uh, dominance and power, uh, with, uh, with domestic violence and sex trafficking. There's there are a lot of rules, involvement of child as a as a tool, uh, sometimes relationship base. Uh, and on the sex trafficking part, um, uh, there's you know what you call a stigma when uh, a person is involved with uh, with a situation of sex trafficking, and they participate in a unique uh, unique subculture. So. It, just in any other cultures that we participate in either you belong in a club uh you uh, you are part of a of a subculture so uh this is where uh, sex trafficking takes place uh in the form of labor trafficking labor trafficking can come in many ways it could come in harboring and uh, also uh having to transport uh, individuals into locations where uh they are uh, they are hidden from the rest of the society but uh, only being taken out of that place to go work for long hours of you know going to 16 to 18 hours a day uh with no pay and when asked you know uh when they ask for pay then they're told that well you've been staying at this place we've been giving you food we've been giving you showers we've been giving you water uh the only way for you to pay for that is uh is to work these hours because you know we've been providing all of this uh, resources for you for free, and that is what we call debt bondage, you know, within uh, within la- la- labor trafficking. So, uh, uh, in general, uh, human trafficking is just another way of uh, la- uh, slavery uh, in our modern time, and right. it happens everywhere. Uh, recently, uh, there's been reported, um, and this came from uh, recent uh, articles uh, that was posted um by my boss after she she came back 3 days ago from united nation uh it was found that uh, the global slavery index by the walk free foundation reported an estimated 400,000 victims of human trafficking in the united states alone 400,000 people uh wow. yeah so uh just the 400,000 uh for 400,000 people uh this generates now in the us alone is 144 billion dollars this includes sex trafficking, uh, labor trafficking, debt bondage, and and and, and, and child labor. And uh, with sex trafficking, uh, it goes to ten billion dollars uh, uh, yearly. So that that is, hmm. yeah, that is just a ridiculous amount of money. And and um, there's just so much money going into the, this business. Uh, there are some supplies and demands. And just like any other business that, you know, because it's treated as business by those those who participate in it, the pe- perpetrators. So, uh, right. yeah, so the recent report uh, speaks uh, volumes a lot uh, because that number has increased uh, tremendous, uh, tremendously uh, over the years. And uh, when we speak of numbers, we don't know whether these numbers has been in existence for a long time and has, uh, have not been uh, uncovered or we don't know if these numbers have just right, uh, right. So, uh, oftentimes when we speak of these numbers, we need to keep in mind that, uh, human trafficking is something that is just being, you know, um, public, uh, publicly, you know, uh, talked about. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, through your research and what you've been able to find, what makes someone susceptible to becoming a human trafficking victim?
1: Um, on the sex trafficking uh, situation, it's often that uh, victims of uh, sex trafficking are mostly coming from uh, abusive uh, backgrounds uh, mm-hmm. and uh, abusive uh, background homes. Uh, most of them are uh, runaways, and uh, some of them are um, some of them are are, are homeless uh, homeless youth. So these are some of the factors that. Uh, are more likely to bond individuals to become uh, a sex trafficking victim. Uh, on the labor trafficking part, uh, it's often that uh, immigrants uh, immigrants come to uh, migrate to different uh, different countries. Oftentimes, they don't have their documents, and oftentimes, they don't know the cultures, they don't know the rule of uh, labor laws. So when someone doesn't have their their, uh, their documents uh, to work in the United States, they will find any mean to uh, uh, to, to work in order for them to survive, and this uh, leads to uh, them being controlled, uh, where their passport are being taken by the employers. If you don't do this, uh, I'm going to report you to uh, to the immigration. So, immigration is one of the uh, control tactics that uh, traffickers use to scare victims into uh, working more hours. So, uh, Interesting. yeah. So, uh, immigration's uh, yeah, part, and also being just being ignorant to uh, to the situations uh, sometimes is one of the major parts. So, you you have. A foreigner coming all the way from let's say from the philippines from kenya from uganda from uh from sotairepi you know coming here to the united states and not knowing the, the the proper law in the united states that you know they are often bound to uh, to be victims of uh, uh human trafficking and the employers would tell them that uh just look at it this way where you came from uh one dollar is about you know, uh fifteen fifteen beer, Ethiopian beer. So right. now they're thinking, well, if a dollar is fifteen Ethiopian beer, you know, I'm actually making more than what I uh, what I was making back home. And they yeah. they need that money in order for them to send it back home. But uh so they're not thinking, you know, uh the, the uh United States currency at the, at this time. Now they've been manipulated, they they've been lured into the situation. Uh, being told that you're making more than you should have, uh, you should have been making, so
0: so so a lot of this doesn't even have to be physical force. It does it not can be psychological. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, a lot of this, you know, because uh, there we have uh, we have about uh, three to four form of uh, of uh, of, uh, of forces, and these forces include uh, psychological, uh, physical, and uh, and also. Uh, uh, physical uh, goes with uh, as, as uh, sexuals uh, sexual abuses and and, and and everything in between so uh, traffickers often force uh, use force fraud and coercion and with force uh, this includes kidnapping physical violence sexual assaults and and and, and, and uh, uh, forcing drugs upon the victim uh, with fraud uh, traffickers often uh, make the victim into believing that the uh, the trafficker is doing good for them. They're promising them uh, good health. They're promising them uh, good um, good shelter. They're promising th- them uh, a lot of money. So this is just the fraud that uh, traffickers use. Coercion could be blackmailing, and blackmailing is taking the victims the victims, uh, the victim's uh, passports and telling them that I will um, report you to immigration or. Uh, on the sex trafficking part, uh, telling the victims that if you don't do this for me, I will post these pictures online into your community. Uh, if the victims that send uh, naked pictures, because you know uh, if uh, the victims send these uh, naked pictures, then the community will see them. So that this is a form of uh, form of a form of blackmail, and uh, coercion includes their bondage and threats against victims or victims' family. So. Uh, these are some of the uh, some of the uh, forces the uh, and, and tactics that traffickers use.
0: Yeah, so you know what's funny, well, not funny. What's interesting is that um, a lot of this can be solved by education. You know, it's it's the idea of you know knowing, you know how you can prevent yourself. From falling into a trap mm-hmm. you know from you know giving out information or putting you know providing anyone that you may not know mm-hmm. uh you know and you know something of value where you know y- you've you've got to be on guard All Right. and but you know the crazy things it, 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 the crazy thing is about it is it happens while it can happen while you're young you right it can happen when you're in a situation that you can't control, you're coming out of a broken home, right? Or you're, you know, you've dealt with abuse, you know, in your right. life and it leaves you vulnerable. Um, what are, what are some ways that people around the world that, you know, on you know, how we can be a little more aware of the tactics and, and the things that are happening all around us uh, that we can be better advocates uh, to kind of help solve these issues or prevent it from happening?
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's a great question. Um, and this is where the in- intervention part comes from. And oftentimes, you know, for me, in my experience, I'm always on high alert, anything that is happening around me. So uh, I'll give you an, an example. Uh, I've been to a few um, uh, Walmarts, a few uh, uh, Home Depots here in, in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And with this, if I see a child... Uh, or anyone that is uh, near the door asking for money or panhandling or doing something that is you know out of the ordinary, selling things uh, at the parking lot, I often ask them, you know, uh, where are you with? Uh, who are you working with? Because uh, these are signs that we find in our research that panhandlers mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes who are for- uh, foreigners are victims of uh, of Of human traffickings and and panhandling is a form of victim uh, of labor trafficking because uh them standing out there in these hundred you know hundred degrees plus uh digits and having to go home after they just uh asked for like hundred dollars um, in front of Walmart not getting anything out of their uh, uh, out of what they just asked for so when I come across things like that then i I would approach them. Uh, who are you selling the can for? Uh, who are you asking money for? And these things, you know, that are uh, that, that are very alerting. And if they tend to be uh, very uh, very scared and looking side to side to see if anyone if anyone else is looking, uh, this could be a sign that you know the trafficker is standing by. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And these are the things, some of the things that we've been taught to, uh, some of the signs we've been taught to uh, to, to look for, uh, aside from physical signs, this, uh which which are bruises, uh, as well as uh, uh, emotional uh, breakdowns that uh, that they can actually signals towards you, and them having to distance yourself. So, and the awareness part is that uh, we have a lot of information out there. Um, a lot of information out there in on the internet as well as uh, uh ngos that are providing these uh, uh these informations on, on on human trafficking so uh and most of them are free you don't have to pay for anything even if you go to our website right now you can you can download our brochures so we've been working on uh making brochures for the south Sudanese community in our languages not just that's amazing yeah yeah in our that's language. the website it's called uh, sextraffickinghelp dot com. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you can also go to uh, uh, Arizona State University Office of Sex Trafficking Intervention Research, and we have a few res- uh, resources there and uh, our brochures as well as the research that we have done uh, in the past. And this includes our uh, our awareness during the um, during the Super Bowl and. Also, all the major events that uh, fuel uh, human uh, human trafficking around us.
0: Right. So speaking of the South Sudanese community, you know, um, I know that, you know, the South Sudanese community and maybe even some African communities uh, see such issues as taboo. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't talk about certain issues like that or mental health. Or things of that nature, you know, we just don't talk about it. We don't address it. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you break the stigmas that revolve around human trafficking? You know, um, and and kind of how do you kind of approach educating the community on the crimes as a
1: whole? Yeah, I think um, to go back to South Sudan Unite, uh, hosted by the Royal Foundation. Um, I think that was the the beginning when I presented at at the event. Uh, by having to uh, not only make this as a, as a topic of discussion, but also to, uh, to make sure that you know, these are the things that our, our kids, uh, as well as the adults, uh, can go through. And with this, uh, we need to normalize our conversations of the things that are taboos in, in our community. Because if we don't speak about these things, they will uh, mentally uh, break us and um, and put us in, in places where we, we don't want to be leading to mental illness and, and, and other things. So by normalizing the, the, the topic of uh, human trafficking and also with us having to speak with it in our languages where... Um, we recognize the cultural differences between uh, the English language and also our our 64 different languages or more. Um, this will op- help us uh, move forward in realizing these things are actually affecting us in our community. And also, to talk about our experiences, if anyone has ever gone through such a situation, um, should not be afraid to speak about their experience of uh, human trafficking, and by them coming out uh, and, and speak about it in the community, uh, this helps the next person to speak about their experience and also the uh, to reduce the traumas that uh, that they, they they had to go through. So,
0: have you been able to see if it's been well accepted, or are people very hesitant when they open up about these things? How's How's that experience been?
1: Uh, as of right now, no one has come towards or even mentioned that they have been uh, a victim of uh, human trafficking. However, right. a few individuals have come to me saying that uh, I had no idea uh, these control tactics of human trafficking that we see every day. Uh, exists. Uh, there actually, uh, there are actually, you know, uh, forms of for human trafficking. So uh, this tells me that they have seen it somewhere, but they have not experienced it themselves. Uh, right. The form of uh, control where a passport has to be taken away, uh, they have seen that. Uh, where a victim has to be law in his situation. Uh, and mid factories and places such as uh, the Omaha, Nebraska, which has um, the highest populations of South Sudanese, um, so they have seen such um, uh, such activities of human trafficking uh, occurring. So, but no one has actually come towards me, and they said that by bringing this conversation in our community, it's a great way of tackling uh, the issues that we go through because. Uh, these are very traumatic experiences that uh, most of us face. So,
0: Yeah, and there's so much trauma attached mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. So if someone has gone through something like that, what would be the first step in kind of moving towards healing and awareness and just kind of getting out of that situation? What would you say to that person?
1: Um, first of all, it's always, you know, okay to seek therapy. And if they come, right. yeah, uh, let's say they have experienced it already and they have, you know, they're in the situation, they, they call the cops or someone else call the cops in the situation. And uh, after their rescue mission, uh, seeking therapy is very important things. Uh, and I think our community needs to invest in, in, in doing things like that. Uh, uh, we
0: don't really talk too much about that. Actually, we
1: don't because that's part of our uh, that's part of our uh, taboo topics. Uh, that right, uh, it it comes with a stigma that you know uh, you're very mental. That we cannot associate ourselves with you no more. Our kids cannot hang out with your children no more, and things like that. So um, uh, seeking therapy is one of our one of our uh, taboos that goes into add into our uh, continued. Uh, mental illness in our community so um, seek help and also uh, try to change your environment and seek support from the family uh, that you grew up with and 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 so forth
0: yeah are there any resources online for therapy that you know of or 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 numbers or anything that people can kind of go towards to kind of get help
1: yeah yeah we 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 do have uh, a number of uh, a number of uh, organizations that uh that we work side by side with and these include international okay. international rescue Committee, uh i r c uh right. they are they provide uh they they provide therapy and um they are victims and in trauma informed uh professions so anyone you know it's not anyone that can you know uh, provide therapy help. So uh, there are professions that are uh, that are put in places. Uh, at at my school, at my department, we have uh, a few students and also um, professions that are um, that provides uh, uh, will provide uh, uh, therapy classes as well as. Uh, um, uh, as well as uh, integration processes. So, organizations, these ing- organizations include ALWAYS, uh, CARE 7, Catholic Charities, um, Codex Health, uh, Recovery Wellness. They, they not only provide therapy, but they also provide medical uh, medicals, uh, uh, tools. And if, you know, you need any medical treatments, uh, they can provide you with that. Uh, we have community bridges, community bridges is uh, to maintain the uh, dignity of human life. Uh, we have Florence Cretentions. Uh, uh, so there are so many organizations out there in, in the state of Arizona that are working to make sure that when victims are rescued, uh, they they go through uh, a suitable process of uh, integrations uh, back into the society. So we work with uh, with these partners a lot.
0: Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. No, that's amazing. I appreciate you dropping gems and allowing us to kind of hear about new places we can go to kind of get information and education and get help. So I definitely do appreciate you kind of sharing that. Um, Something I always ask people, you know, I mean, your life is just, I mean, man, it's so impactful. You're doing so many great things um, on so many great levels, Um, you know, coming from a refugee camp and then being able to, I mean, just accomplish everything you you've done. I mm. mean, it speaks volumes. So one thing I've always tried to do, especially with this podcast or any platform that I, that I, that I have yeah. is to provide a blueprint that I can leave behind for the younger generation. And uh, the reason why this podcast is called Africa and Us, because I felt that it's important that we provide inspiring stories of representation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, someone like you that have, you know, overcome, you know, so many different things and and you're now able to Um, you know, uh, just kind of do significant, important, meaningful work, I think speaks volumes to listeners that are tuning in, you know, to this podcast. So one question I always ask people, what's one value or mantra that reflects in your life and work today? What, what, what What are some things that you've picked up on, you know, growing up in the refugee camp and coming to America and learning English and going through And, you know, you know, going through all these experiences, you spoke about your father even earlier in this podcast about how he modeled, uh, you know, uh, leadership, you know, which is also very interesting because I remember you mentioned when we're in Phoenix that leadership is not even is not a position of, you know, it's, uh, it's not a position of power. It's more uh, about servant leadership, being a servant leader. Yeah. So I know that has resonated with you as well. So. Maybe if you can speak more to that, and then maybe just share anything else that you've learned along the way, I think people will appreciate that.
1: Yeah, um, earlier I forgot to mention that one of the um, one of the, the first book that I ever read, you know, when I was a when I was a kid, and then the primary school um, was on the biography of uh, autobiography of uh, Nelson Mandela, and. Right. Um, just by reading his uh his, his biography and his life his life journey um, motivated me a lot uh, i have no idea why it did even though I do not have the proper resources to um, uh to even you know follow his his footstep I'm not saying that I, I want to follow his footstep or anything in 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 that particular but uh with 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 this autobiography uh it showed me that education, just like you know uh, Nelson Mandela said, is the most powerful tool that in which you can change the world. Uh, I took this very personal, and this led to my passion for uh, uh, for education. And uh, beside what I saw at home, you know, from my uh, for my father as being, uh, being, being a leader uh, instead of having to hold a political position. Um, so, but to go back on your question, uh, I think having to have, having to go through the struggle as a generally, you know, South Sudanese, we were never given the opportunity to be ourselves, uh, we were never given the opportunity to pursue things that uh, we wanted to uh, to uh, to do in life. So when we come across these opportunities, we never let go of them because we know how precious they are uh, to us and also to life and to the things that we want to uh, we want to do in life. So we know the value of things because we we know that not having it. We know the experience. We know the feeling of not having uh, these uh, opportunities. So when we ha- when we get the opportunities of uh, sitting in these classes, we want to make sure that we do our best. Uh, we do way more than expected. Uh, when we join these clubs, we enjoy. We we join these organizations. We want to make sure that we put in uh, uh, more than what is what is asked for because it's something that we never had before so that somewhat motivates and drives our uh, our needs and uh and also you know uh our visions and wanting to uh to do more out there and also giving back you know we always want to give, to, to give back i personally uh, can speak on that because it's it's been some of the uh some of the things that I, I've been wanting to do uh going back to to servant leadership uh i mentioned servant leadership uh last time because um i think when i was asked by by our dear uh, sister uh ian grace um she asked you know would i want to run for an office or would i want to uh be a politician or would i want to be a person uh, in political and uh, power, uh, powerful positions. So I said I, I would rather be a servant leader. And the fundamental theory of a servant leader has been shown in worldwide theory and religion philosophy according to some researches. And uh, for indivi- for individuals to be good servant, one has to be role model by demonstrating good leadership style on their uh, on their followers and their stakeholders. So it's not just those who are uh, who uh, are longed for to uh to be my followers and I don't want to have followers, those who uh, who look look up to me, but it's also the stakeholders that I'm working side by side, all the people that are on the same table as me so uh, and for me to serve them. And this role uh models fulfilled by you know leader to uh, valuing all. His or her followers while followers acknowledging the characteristics um, that he or she holds by an effective servant leader so this is where I was I was coming from so uh, philosophically speaking um, servant uh, servant leadership uh, as strong as foundation based on the concept of virtue and this was by Robert uh, green uh, greenleaf uh, quoting it you know, on his theory of servant uh, servant leader. So this is where I was coming from, and I can give you know a few examples from our leaders. Uh, such uh, Dr. John Grant at, at three. You know, he had leadership characteristics according to um, you know to, to my personal views is a is uh, servant, uh, transformers uh, transformational leaders uh, leader as well. By being uh, charismatic, uh, Dr. Goering celebrated with his men in uniform when capturing the town from the government army. Uh, why is he servant? When Dr. Gurung graduated, uh, he was offered a job uh, at his former uh, former school in Iowa University, uh, Iowa University, to be a lecturer. But he instead he refuses to to work for for the sake of liberating his people from uh, from those of the Arab North. We were marginalizing uh, South Sudanese. So uh, he, he place instead of uh, placing his self-interest first, on having to work uh, at a job, you know, that was offered by uh, for him after, after graduating uh, with his PhD, he wanted to serve his people. So this is very cosmetic of him. So this is just a few example that I uh, that I have in mind uh, for ser- servant leaderships and. Um, I am shaped by, by, by the things that I saw and the thing that I uh, I read and the thing that I uh, I grew up hearing from my communities and uh, leaders such as Dr. Geng, uh, uh Dr. Rick Machar, uh, uh who is now uh, uh, was now the former vice president of South Sudan and now the uh, the opposition leader um, uh, against the government so these things are what hold me uh, into becoming what I want to be
0: yeah. that's great yeah. that's great that's brilliant I, I appreciate you sharing that um yeah so um where will you be servant leading next what's next for you
1: <laughs> you know uh for some times now i i've been wanting to not you know disclose a lot of you know information on my plans because you know <laughs> but this is just due to yeah yeah uh if if, if if you get what i'm saying I understand. uh so i i believe uh there's time for everything uh, when to disclose things, uh, information that need to be disclosed, and what moves need to be made, and 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 whatnot. So, uh, but but for now, I would want to uh, uh, the future plans are wanting to go back home uh, to South Sudan and also participate in uh, developments uh, and uh, infrastructures of our of our country, and as well as. Uh, shaping the identity of South Sudanese because I don't think we never had the chance, uh, to even do that. We never had the chance to discover ourselves and right, yeah, uh, and what I, our identity is. So, uh, these are some of the things that I have in mind. So, yeah,
0: that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So, what are, what are some ways that people can reach out to you if they want to connect with you? And, um, I don't know, within any capacity,
1: uh, well, I'm uh, I'm on uh, social media most of the times. Uh, okay. You can find me under my, my full name, uh, Bandak lul, uh, B-A-N-D-A-K. Uh, last name's L-U-L. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, and I'm on LinkedIn, which is my professional profile. If you want to connect professionally, uh, someone can get me uh, can connect me with me through there. So these are some of the ways you can connect with me or if you just want to actually you know have direct contact with me, uh, my email is uh, first and last name bandaklu at gmail.com and uh, uh, from there on we can we can have a tech okay.
0: All right, well, yeah. Bandak, I appreciate this nearly an hour we've been talking I appreciate it's been. This- yeah close to an hour conversation (laughs) man it's been a pleasure kind of learning a lot more about human trafficking your role and responsibility and i definitely commend you for the work that you're doing and uh we'll continue supporting you and rooting for you uh moving forward so i appreciate you sir
1: yeah um just just a quick note uh before uh before we end it you asked earlier you know how can we end? Uh, how can we end slavery? How can we end uh, human trafficking? And I touched, yes, I touched, yes. touched base on it just a little bit. Um, and I wanted to make a few points that uh, educate, uh, educating and organizing vulnerable communities uh, is one of the things that we can take forward in, uh, in ending human trafficking. So through awareness of uh, trafficking, understandings our rights, uh, organizing anti-slavery uh, committees, uh, bridging community uh, and police and other uh, authorities. Uh, so, for individuals, uh, we need to be made aware of the uh, menaces and the risks involved. Communities need to be understanding uh, of their roles and their rights and the risks of uh, human trafficking. Uh, by making themselves uh, understand their roles in the fight of uh, in the fight against trafficking, they will be able to organize anti uh, slavery committees uh, that acts as neighborhood watch against slavery and as a bridge to uh, the police and other assault, uh, authorities. And to further extend this, we need to have access to basic services and capacity building by affordable schools, medical care, social safety nets, credits, and, uh, as well as credit. Uh, back home, we don't know what credits are. Uh, but we need to have uh, a better social uh, safety uh, safety net, and this is uh, through the provision of skills training, financial assistance, and adequate education. Uh, the capacity of the people would be uh, strengthened to achieve sustainable results uh, by increasing access to affordable schools, health, and credit. Communities would be less uh, prone to trafficking, and more people would uh, would want to. Uh, uh, to, to stay in their communities instead of uh, migrating into uh, communities and also different and uh, neighboring countries and as well as migrating from continents to continents. Uh, in the legal part, uh, legal protection and liberations. Uh, and I'm sorry if this is too long for you. No, this is perfect. <laughs> you
0: you are you keep going. This is great.
1: Yeah. So in the legal uh, in the legal uh, in the legal part, legal protection liberations. Uh, we have to have stronger laws, uh, law enforcing uh, training, equipping mm-hmm. journalists, uh, cooperating between local uh, organizations, authorities on on uh, on rights and community engagement. Uh, individuals, communities, organizations t- should advocate for better laws and improve law enforcement. Uh, governments and uh, NGOs should train police and other uh, other government officials, as well as journalists, so they can be. Uh, better reporter on slavery, on human trafficking. Uh, there should be a better cooperations between local organizations and authorities to liberate uh, uh, those in slavery, the victims of human trafficking. Uh, sometimes, right. yeah, sometimes this involves uh, riots uh, at, at places such as, you know, where we, um, you know, at the beach, uh, lakes and buses, and I'm speaking... Uh, uh, globally, not just in the United States. And uh, other cases, uh, you know, it could, uh, in Bolton, communities chase chase up the, you know, chase up uh, of the slaveholders and traffickers without external assistance. So just to mobilize ourselves, you know, uh, uh, to to come together as a community and also recognizing this is... Uh, it's not just the victim's problems, but this is our problem looking at the problem as, as, as an issue that involves all of us, not just a one particular person that is, uh, that is going through it. So, uh, my brother, I have already touched base on counseling, uh, the therapy part and support groups uh, vocational training, employment assistance, uh, legal services and, uh, uh for survivors uh to gain access to medical care counseling support groups and all this. And I think these are just few few of the ways that we can t- work towards on uh on ending uh the modern day slavery, uh also known as uh, human trafficking and in, in the Western world. Uh so I just wanted to add this on uh on to what I, I mentioned prior. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: No, that's that's huge. I appreciate you kinda of sharing <laughs> you know, more of uh, an extensive, you know, idea of what this really looks like on so many levels. Yes, you know, sir. So political, educational, social. Yes, you know, sir. We, it, it takes, it definitely takes a, a community to eradicate, you mm-hmm. know, human trafficking and child labor. And so it's, this is much needed. And this is exactly why I wanted you to kind of have this platform to kind of share a lot of this research and education. And, yes, sir. You know, Ways that we can move forward and and applicable ways, yes, you, know, yes. you know, that we can really raise awareness mm-hmm. and and put an end to this. So, I I definitely appreciate you, sir. Thank you so much for for adding that.
1: Yeah, no, no problem. You know, I I you know I believe you know having to see this as you mentioned as as a problem that involves able one and it could happen to anyone. It doesn't matter whether you're from the suburb, you're from the inner city, you're from uh, from the village. This can happen to any of us because uh, right. situations like these are you know uh, do not discriminate to towards anyone so yeah you know, right anyway. right well
0: anything else anything else you wanted to add
1: no i just want to give a shout out to my uh south sudanese out there nice. and also nice. my african diasporans who are listening uh <laughs> as well definitely. as uh the africans in africa um yeah we, we see you uh we see you <laughs> we definitely have to reconnect soon uh, may the yes. may the ancestors uh, the ancestors be with all of you. I appreciate you uh, tuning in uh, uh, and uh, having to be uh, on this topic with me today.
0: This concludes our episode of Africa and Us. Thank you for listening. Be sure to share the episode and follow the journey on social media with me at Nate Araya. Be encouraged.